All right. Part of what I'll be sharing from God's Word this morning is about going and making disciples. And the next word is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this morning, we have the privilege of having a baptism. Uh, Lily Blayhotch is here and her family. Great to see all of you guys here as well. And uh, just want to give a couple words of explanation of what baptism is and what it isn't, in a sense. Please be clear that what eternally saves us is faith in Jesus Christ alone. Baptism does not help add merit points to what Christ did because he accomplished it all. But baptism is rather what we call an outward sign of an inward change. It's a public symbol because you cannot see faith in Christ. That's an internal decision as we'll talk about today. You cannot see faith in Christ, but you can see a baptism. So Jesus prescribed this unique and special visual symbol, something used in that day to express a change. And that's what it expresses for Lily and many of you who have uh, followed the Lord in, in baptism this way. So it's a way of expressing what Christ has done in our life to others. I've often tried to illustrate it with a wedding ring because for me, the wedding ring is something that has always said, I am married and I want to honor that marriage commitment. And so likewise, it's a physical symbol to be baptized to say, I am a believer in Christ and I want to honor a commitment to Christ as being his disciple. So Lily, why don't you come at this time and, and share your testimony and then we will uh, have an outdoor baptism that you get to inaugurate for us. Hi, my name is Lily Blayhutch, and I'm 13 years old. I don't know the exact date of when I was saved. I think that I was around four. However, even though I'm unsure of the exact time that I was saved, I'm here to proclaim that I believe that God sent his only son, Jesus, to die for me. I was an imperfect sinner, and in that state, I could not get into heaven. However, by Jesus' death and then resurrection, I am cleansed of my sin, and I will go to heaven forever when I die. I will be saved from eternity in hell. Though I still make mistakes, I know that I have been freed of imperfection by the grace of God. Today, in obedience to the Lord, I am going to proclaim that I am forever His. Amen. Amen. All right. Lily, on your profession of faith in Christ as your Savior, I now baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here you go. If I could wipe my arm first. <laughs> All right. What a refreshing way to uh, begin this time of celebrating and to introduce really our passage today. So if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew, to the last chapter, Matthew 28, 
verses 18 to 20, where we read a passage that will be very familiar to many of you called the Great Commission sometimes because it is the great thing that Christ told us to do. I want to introduce it a little bit with an old story you, a few of you may have heard before. It's a story of an old man who was very wealthy, and he knew he was nearing the end of his life. And since he had accumulated so much, it really did kind of make him sad to leave it all behind. And so he began to pray and say, hey God, is, is it possible that I could take it with me this time? And God said, you know, it doesn't really work that way. You have to leave it all behind. But the man just kept praying and kept asking, God, can I please take it with me? And so God finally relented and he said, well, okay, I'll let you take along one suitcase full, anything you want. So the man quickly went and liquidated all of his assets and turned them into gold bars and filled the suitcase with gold bars. And pretty soon he did indeed die and he uh, showed up at the pearly gates there with St. Peter. By the way, this is not a true story, (laughs) nor is it good theology at all, okay? He showed up at the pearly gates, and Peter said, uh, what do you have there? The man proudly opened his suitcase, and uh, sure enough, there it was, all these gold bars. And Peter looked at it and said, you brought pavement? (laughs) Streets paved with gold, Revelation 21, I think 21. This concrete poured this week is going to stay here. People will be forever in heaven. And we need to always keep clear that when God gives us something physical or tangible, that we never mistake it as the goal. But rather, the goal is what we will now read in Matthew 28. Jesus has risen from the dead, but not yet ascended to heaven. He gathered the 11 disciples. And it says in verse 18, All authority... Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The first thing we're going to look at today is what we are to do, make disciples, obediently. Secondly, we want to look at how we are to do that, and that is through prayer, praying dependently. How much authority does Jesus say that he have? He has all. All authority is only because Jesus is God. As the very Son of God who came to earth, he is God. That's why he has all authority. And his authority extends, it says, both in heaven and in earth. Someday when we are in heaven, as believers in Christ, we will realize he has all authority in heaven. What we can forget is that he already has all authority here on earth, which is why he could tell us what to do. He could tell us that our job is to make disciples of all nations. That's now. That's, that's earth. And we are accountable to do what he 
asked his disciples to do. Because what he asked his disciples to do was not just for those 11 men, because very clearly it says in the passage that Jesus promised to be with them as they did this to the very end of the age. So it extended past those disciples to us as the disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ, to the very end of the age. The age is not over. We've been studying in Sunday mornings in the, uh, uh, the series on prophecy about the rapture. The rapture has not happened. The Christ has not returned for us yet. So we know that this is not yet fulfilled. We are still part of what's happening here. So we're accountable to do what Jesus told his disciples to do. If you ask your child to uh, set the table for dinner, it's very simple to see if they've obeyed. Is the table set for dinner? And so if Jesus told us to make disciples of all nations, it's very clear to know if, if we are living obediently or not. Are we making disciples? How are you helping to make disciples is the question we should be asking. We've called this the Discipleship Center. How can you be involved in making disciples, whether it's here or where you live or where you work? I think it's important for us to understand what it means to make disciples because it can just kind of be one of those Christian words we throw out there. Making disciples, I think, involves both a, you could say, a dot and a line. A dot and a line. The dot is that people need to come to a place of faith in Christ. That's a one-time decision that happens, and many of you, most of you, have made that decision, a dot. But then the line that continues is the life to which he calls us, a life of obedience. Making disciples is the dot and the line. But it begins with the dot. And that's why I believe the first thing he says is go and make disciples. There are, there's one command or one imperative grammatically in this statement of Jesus. The one command is to make disciples. Then there are three what we call participles that explain how that one thing will be accomplished. It's by going, it's by baptizing, and it's by teaching them to do everything I've commanded so going is first. Go or going make disciples. What are we going to do? We're going to tell the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And so I'd like us to review a little bit, just in case it's new for somebody here or somebody watching. What is the good news of Jesus Christ that we are going to tell people if we're going to make disciples of all nations? There is good news only because there is also bad news. So let's think through this a little bit. Good news and bad news. I know many of you have heard this shared before, what the value of it might be for you that you would be able to uh, tell it to somebody else. The good news is about God. The bad news is about us. So let's just be clear. The bad news is about our problem, and our problem is what? Somebody. Sin. Our problem is sin. The good news is about Jesus. He's the solution. And the solution is Jesus dying on the cross. What's the bad news about? Sin. What's the good news about? Jesus dying on the cross. The bad news is explained in two passages, I think, very clearly in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means all of us, the entire world, 
The best people you know, the worst people you know, are guilty of sin, and that sin makes us unqualified for heaven. We fall short of God's glory. And the bad news gets worse because the penalty of sin is death. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages, wages are what you earn, the wages of sin are death. And he's talking about eternal death, judgment in an eternal place, a real place called hell. So the bad news is about us, and the problem is our sin. The good news is about Christ. Since we could not fix our sin problem, Christ came as the Son of God from heaven and became man. And Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, before we cleaned up our act, our act, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the most significant statement, that he died for us. It means he died instead of us, he died in place of us, because all of our sin was put on Christ, and God the Father punished Jesus so he wouldn't have to punish us. That's how much he loved us. That leaves us with the final piece of the good news, and that is that we can have eternal life if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one who paid for our sin. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that's us, as sinners, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that's Christ, dying on the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, that's hell, but have eternal life, that's heaven. So there is a vital choice that we must make in response to the good news of what Christ did for us, and that is we must believe in Christ. And it doesn't just mean believing that he existed, it means to put your trust in Christ. So where have you placed your trust? Many people put their trust in religion, in some form of baptism. Many people put their trust in being a good person. But then the cross was unnecessary. What are you trusting in for eternal life? That is the issue. So I would urge you that if you have not put your faith in Christ, make sure you understand what that means and put your faith in Christ. If you have put your faith in Christ, then that is the message that you go to do to tell people to make disciples. Go and make disciples. And suddenly that becomes your all-important responsibility. Where do we go and make disciples? It says all nations. Jesus told this to 11 Jewish men. It wasn't just for Jewish men. Every man, woman, and child, and everyone who has names like Litke or Meeks or Blayhots or, yeah, all of us. The fact that we are believers in Christ is because somebody told somebody who told somebody they were making disciples all these past 2,000 years. And so that clearly becomes our responsibility. It's also for the people of Paraguay. After the message today, we're going to have uh, uh, hear from John Keith. John and Rebecca are missionaries of ours for many years now in Paraguay. Pastor Seth will be giving, having a brief interview with them after this message. That's what it's all about, making disciples of all nations. That's what they're doing there. So are we going? Or are we just surviving? Are we going or are we just achieving, accomplishing, accumulating? 
Are we going and making disciples? Is your heart set on that? See, we were never even told in Scripture specifically to build discipleship centers or parking lots. We were not told just to talk about making disciples that you're doing what we're doing right now. We're not told just to, to have a men's discipleship training like Pastor Seth is, will be leading next month starting then. These are all resources. These are all important things, but these are not specifically the instructions. We have to make sure that we actually obey and set the table. Do what God calls us to do in order to make disciples. Going, make disciples, baptizing. Okay, we've just seen Lily baptized. And I'm pretty sure that when you think back to this day, you will remember Lily being baptized more than anything I say. That's how important it is to to visually see faith in Christ. To visually express that. If you have not expressed your faith in baptism, I urge you to do that and to uh, talk with one of us as pastors. We'd love to see you follow in that step of obedience. We are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why is that important? It's because when we have to understand truth when we put our faith in Christ. And the truth is that we are entering a relationship with the triune, eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father is the one who loved us. The Son is the one who gave his life for us. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers everything we do. So we are baptized, identified with that new relationship. Then comes teaching. Going, baptizing, teaching. Teaching to obey everything Christ commanded. So that what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, is saying, I want to obey Jesus Christ all the time. What does that mean to you? How do you obey Jesus Christ in your marriage? What would he be saying to you right now? How would you be obeying Jesus Christ in your finances right now? How would you be obeying Jesus Christ in in relationships or situations you have at work? How would you be obeying Jesus Christ in a difficult relationship, forgiving like Christ forgave you? Obey Jesus all the time. So if you think about this process, this task of going and making disciples and baptizing and teaching is unchanged because of any current situation. The pandemic doesn't change that any more than the persecution that Paul or Peter or John, all of which were martyred, they continued to do what they were called to do. It didn't change anything throughout the Middle Ages or the Reformation or throughout all of American history thus far. Our task is unchanged. We are called to make disciples of all nations. And we have this incredible promise then. Jesus said, surely I'll be with you always to the end of the age. We have no ability to make disciples. So he tells us to make disciples, but we have no ability to make disciples unless Christ is alongside of us. He supplies the power to make disciples. I'd like you to uh, picture two people in your life that you know who are, as far as you know, not believers in Christ, okay? Picture two people. Pick, pick one you really like, and then one the other kind, okay? Two unbelievers that you, that you, you know of, probably personally. You know what they have in common? You cannot talk either one of them into believing in Jesus Christ. 
the best arguments, the best books you, you shove at them, no, no matter what you do, you cannot do the work that only God can do because he's the one that does it. If you looked at your bulletin today, you see the pick of the week from Phoebe. It says, just know that God's by your side. I don't know if you realize, Phoebe, you were kind of prophetic for today's message here. Just know God's by your side. As we go to make disciples, surely he will be with us to the very end of the age. So he is with us, but we love people. He is with us, but we take initiative to build relationships with people. He, he is with us, but we, we see the people in our work, in our, in our neighborhood, as people that God put in our life for influence. Are we obediently making disciples? How do we do that? The what is to obediently make disciples. The how is that we must pray dependently. Turn with me now to the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts 1. And we're just going to touch down a couple of select places in the first six chapters to, as we think about the power to make disciples through prayer. First of all, in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus repeats essentially what we just read, the Great Commission, in another form just before he ascends to heaven. And so Acts 1.8, he tells his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Ozaki County, Wisconsin. These are broadening circles because it's all nations. It's, it's everywhere and everyone. And then one verse later, verse 9, 10, 11, Jesus ascends to heaven. Now think about this. Jesus has just promised them, I will be with you always. And then he leaves. Did Jesus break his promise because he said, I'll be with you always? And he left. No, he didn't break his promise. The way Jesus is with us is through the spirit that he gives us. I'll give you the spirit, he says, and he will be with you forever. And so he says, you've got to wait for the spirit to come. And so they were waiting. But what did they do while they waited? Look at chapter 1, verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so there's this group of men and women who are gathered together waiting for God to fulfill, Christ to fulfill his promise to send the Spirit. They prayed constantly. Why did they need to pray? Christ promised he would send the Spirit. Christ promised he'd be with them. Why do we have to pray to make disciples if he promised to make disciples? We do not pray to make God do anything. We pray to express that we trust God to do everything. It is about humble dependence. It is not about us somehow twisting the arm of Almighty God. We are saying when we pray, I depend on you to do everything. So have you been praying to make disciples that's that's this is the launch point if you will if 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 you if you haven't gotten on that path through our multiply effort of multiplying disciples for his glory we realize this is a resource but the plan of god is that we would be laser focused on 
making disciples for his glory. So you have to pray so that you can be involved. If you haven't been praying to make disciples, don't be surprised if it doesn't seem like God's using you in great ways or noticeable ways. But if you have been praying to make disciples, disciples, don't be surprised that he gives you opportunities so that you can jump on board. So what did happen as the disciples were praying constantly, the men, the women? Well, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit did come. And on that day, Peter preached the first message about faith in Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. And look at chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a baby church, but a big baby church. 3,000 are saved, and the church is formed. So what does a church do? We take our model, really, from what the early church did, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Teaching, we, we do that quite a bit at a Bible church. Fellowship, we're, we're getting back to that, aren't we? This is great. Communion, we've done that every month. Prayer. How devoted are we? To prayer. I know that many, many of you are personally very devoted to prayer. I'm convinced that's uh, why God has supplied as he has for us. In fact, I think one of the few places that in, our, in my recent memory I really can picture how God has used corporate prayer, that's when we pray together, is his provision for this project. Uh, I think there's been like four times in this process. Once some of you who are uh, involved in leadership positions may remember a summer dessert hour when we introduced the project, and we gathered in a circle to pray. When we had groundbreaking here some years ago, as the project began, we circled the, the area and we prayed together. When we hit that three-year three point of our, of our project, we were inside and the walls were studded, I think, and insulated and we gathered in a circle and we prayed. And then last November, when we dedicated the building, we gathered to pray. And, and today, at the end of our service, Pastor Nate's going to lead us in a time of prayer as well. God answers when, when we gather to pray. I don't think those are just cer- ceremonial moments. Rather, we realized that the project was impossible. And through the process, we learned that the process is difficult. And now this project, at least, is done. We just need to make sure that we keep that same prayer focus about the actual task of making disciples. The staff and board are working on a plan for October where we want to gather corporately as part of our regular services to pray. So stay tuned as to how that exactly looks and uh, Make sure that you are involved in that. What would God do if we prayed corporately to multiply disciples? We begin to see what happened. 3,000 were saved. Look at verse 47. And the Lord, chapter 2 of Acts, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How exciting is that? Chapter 4, verse 4. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Add the women and children, the families, 
it, this is growing exponentially as they prayed. Many times we you know we question why doesn't God answer our prayers even when we pray about good things, but even those good things, many times we aren't sure if they're God's will, right? What if you pray to make disciples? You can be absolutely certain that is God's will. Pray to make disciples. With multiplication, though, came persecution. Let's not be surprised. But it didn't stop the growth of the church. Peter and John were thrown into prison, and then they were released. If you look ahead in chapter 4, verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The doctrine of creation is a great place to start prayer. When you look around today and say, wow, this is beautiful what God has made, it gives you confidence of what God can do. So they start with his power and sovereignty. Then they remind him of the prophecy how, that, that, that predicted that, the, that Christ would die and how that came to be fulfilled. And then their first prayer request, verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Notice their prayer. They stayed on task. Things are really difficult. Our leaders just got out of jail. So they didn't pray, keep us out of jail. They prayed that we would speak the word of God with boldness. And look at verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Spoke the word of God boldly. God answers prayers for boldness in the face of persecution. I think Christians are praying more in the last six months than probably in the, last, or the previous six months. Have you noticed that about yourself? Yeah, hard times bring, bring out a desire and a need to pray. There's a lot to pray about it. About We have fears to pray about. We should pray for health and healing. Uh, we should pray for our nation, racial peace, justice, fairness. We should pray for law enforcement individuals and families that are going through a difficult time in that realm. We should pray for our presidential election, obviously. One very clear prayer request is what Paul wrote to Timothy, pray for kings and those who are in authority. So we should pray for President Trump, and we should pray for Governor Evers. You don't pick one. You pray for those who are in authority. But let's read the whole first five verses of that explanation of why we should pray for those who are in authority. Because it clarifies how we, as believers, should pray for those in authority. And so if you don't have PowerPoint today, you're going to have to really listen or, or uh, look it up yourself. I urge then, first of all, that prayers, petitions, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives, not just for our benefit, but peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. 
This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Did you follow that? Why should we pray for those in authority? Two key reasons. It's so that we would be godly and so that people would be saved. Do you recognize the Great Commission? Do you recognize the command to make disciples of all nations? See, we need to be growing as disciples, obeying Jesus in everything so that we live godly and holy lives and then God wants all people to be saved, so we go out and we multiply. So the reason we pray for our authority is because we have a clear focus of what matters most on earth, because that's what will matter most forever in heaven. The church kept meeting, chapter 5, pick it up in the middle of verse 12, it says, and the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, that's part of the temple grounds, just like Acts 2.42, and so we can very well assume they were still praying together. In verse 14, 5 verse 14, nevertheless more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. There was continual growth. God intends for the church to multiply. And one final one, chapter 6, it says in verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so that's just the environment, that's what's going on, there was this concern about some of the widows who were not getting served, part of the ministry to physical needs. And so middle of verse 2, the disciples gathered and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Uh, verse 4, so we're going to pick out men and to, to do that, and then we will give our attention to, the, to prayer and the ministry of the word. And that's what they did. They chose seven men, and these men began to do some of these additional uh, ministries to the physical needs that, that were, were necessary. The result, verse 7, is, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests even became obedient to the faith. I always think the priests had to always deal with, why did that temple veil get torn from top to bottom when Jesus died? And so, as they learned the gospel, many of the priests came to faith in Christ as well. Many of you have served at Open Door in many ways for many years. And you have um, done child care and taught Sunday school and media and landscaping, maintenance, cleaning. So many ways that you have served. Have you been doing it? To make disciples. Because you see, the elders said, we can't be distracted from this primary focus God called us to have the ministry of word, the word and prayer. So God used the elders through the word and prayer, but he also used everybody else who was serving because it's all serving the same goal. And the, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly because everybody was doing what everybody was called to do. Another old story. This one's not funny, but I think it makes an important point. Two men were laying brick on a building. Two masons. And someone asked the first one, what are you doing? He says, I'm laying brick. He asked the second one, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a cathedral. They're doing the same job. 
Only one of them had the vision for understanding the greater purpose that his job of laying brick was all about. And, and I just would trust that as you find the place that God places you or places God places you, whether it's a ministry here, whether it's a ministry in your neighborhood, whether it's a, someone you go out to coffee with, whether it's something that happens on a Zoom meeting or, a, or, or on the golf course, that you begin to see that what God has called you to do is to make disciples for his glory. Don't just do your thing, but you will lose, you will lose vision unless you are committed to making disciples. I mentioned we're going to close in a time of prayer. And that's what Jesus had told the disciples when he was looking at the multitudes, chapter 9 of Matthew. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. That kind of describe our world today. Weary, scattered, like sheep with no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's take seriously the need to pray and as we find ways to organize some corporate prayer, I, I, I ask for your wholehearted investment in prayer to actually accomplish what God has given us to do. Because it also will look impossible to reach our communities for Christ. It will be difficult, but someday when he calls us home, it will then be done. But it's only by his power and as we pray dependently. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we just take this moment to reflect on your word which has given us our focus. We are distracted by many important things to ourselves, our family, and our nation. I pray that you would give us clarity of heart and mind and purpose as a church family and that as individual families and as individuals we would simply seek you for how you want to personally use us for this central task. We can look down and see what you've provided on, in a parking lot or a building. We can look up and see that it was really you by your power. Help us now to look around and see the, the fields that are white and trust you to be effective to accomplish this great task of helping people understand and believe in you and grow in their faith. In Christ's name, amen.